Hello and welcome back to the Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of the Indie, and for this week's episode, we're talking about Ryan P. Cruz's piece on UC Santa Barbara's Underground Scholar Initiative, a program that helps formerly incarcerated students take back their futures through accessibility to higher education. I'm here with Ryan P. Cruz himself, as well as Ryan Rising and Melissa Ortiz, who are the coordinator, founder, and historians for Underground Scholars. But to start us off, Ryan, tell me about your journey leading up to building this program in Santa Barbara towards the end of 2019. So my beginning, like of most people, you know, um, started off at a very early age. I went through the school to prison pipeline um, at the age of six years old. They told uh, my mom that I had ADHD. They started to segregate me in the resource rooms and they told my mom that she needed to take me to a physician. And the physician started to give me multiple, you know, cocktails of drugs, Ritalin, Prozac. And I became like this test study for these physicians and all these new medications that were coming out. So I was taught at a very early age that, you know, I needed drugs in order to be normal. And that was where my addictive behaviors began and my addiction started. And so by the age of 12, I was already using marijuana, crystal meth. At that time, it was crank. You know, there was crack and heroin in my neighborhood. So I wasn't afraid of drugs. So at a very early age, um, I started to use drugs. And by 12, I was incarcerated in juvenile hall. In juvenile hall, I was totally dehumanized. I was stripped and I had to strip in front of guards, you know, at 12 years old. And this was a very uh, dehumanizing experience for me, which totally broke me down spiritually and just really dismantled my mental health. And I I became traumatized from this experience. And so I, I would come home and I was so institutionalized that I would go right back in. So I was trapped in this revolving door in the system of mass incarceration and just continuously going in and out. I wouldn't last long out here. I'd come out, I'd get back on drugs, I'd start using drugs, and then I'd start doing illegal activities to fund these this addiction that I had to get these drugs. And I had no boundaries. I had no morals or no values, right? And so... Uh, this went on all my life. I landed in New Folsom State Prison in 2011. I went in in 2008, but in 2011, a lot of things started to change. There was like this consciousness awakening happening inside the confines of the California Department of Corrections. And the incarcerated individuals were waking up and they were all seeing that we were all equally suffering. And so it was like what a good friend of mine said, Chino, Philip Dorsett said this, and it's a a very great way to put it. The equality of suffering equals solidarity. So we were seeing that we're equally suffering and that why are we fighting against each other? And we became one in solidarity equals organization. And what happened is the short corridor collective began to organize around this solidarity. And so they started to organize the prisoner hunger strikes. And then the equality of suffering equals solidarity equals organization equals action. And then we all started a protest and we decided we were going to starve ourselves, that we rather die than let the next generation of children suffer what we have at the confines of, of the prison industrial complex. And so 
we decided we weren't going to eat anymore and we refused to go to work and we demanded rehabilitation services. We demanded the end to the segregated housing units. The first one was in 2011. The second one was in 2013. In 2013, we starved ourselves for 33 days. And then the segregated housing units of Pelican Bay, the Short Corridor Collective, and the organizers up there, they starved themselves for 59 days. And after that, we ended up getting uh, college courses. So I started to study two weeks after this prisoner hunger strike ended, and I signed up for Lassing Community College. And I started to earn these units. And it was, it was wild because it's like everything changed, right? Well, speed it up, 2015, I'm about to get released now. And I have 43 units. I've been getting straight A's in all my classes. And I've been doing this through the mail. I didn't have professors. I didn't know how to write college papers. I didn't know how to do my times tables. I had to teach myself all this in my cell. And so uh, three months before I'm about to get out, my friend Philip tells me, hey, what are you going to do when you get out? I was like, I don't know. I'm going to be transient because they came and told me if I had an address and no, they were releasing me transient. So a lot of the houseless people out here right now, they've come out of prison. And they, since they don't have no housing for formerly incarcerated individuals, they just have to sleep in tents. So a lot of people are being released from the prison industrial complex to the streets of Santa Barbara, and they're having to live in tents. And so uh, I, I was, you know, scared going through a lot of anxiety. And my friend Philip found Danny Murillo, who was the founder of the Berkeley Underground Scholars, one of the founders. And he had me call him and I called him and I said, hey, uh, I'm getting out in like three months. I'm going through a lot of anxiety. And Danny Murillo was like, look, Ryan, I'm at Berkeley. How many units do you have? I was like, I got 43 units towards my associate's degree. He's like, you can transfer to Berkeley. You only need like 18 more units and you can transfer and I was like, what? I only need 18 more units and I can go to Berkeley. So now I'm out at the yard and everyone's like, hey, hey, Ryan, you're short time in it, Flacco. Like, what are you going to do when you get out? I was like, well, I'm going to go to Berkeley and I'm going to get my doctorate. And they started laughing like, you're not going to go to Berkeley. Like they ain't got no tatted up people at Berkeley. I was like, no, they do. They got a group there called the Underground Scholars at Berkeley. And they were like, what? So I became like the joke on the yard. All the homies were like, Flacco, you short time in it. What are you going to do when you get out? I was like, I'm going to Berkeley to get my PhD. And so I got out and I went to San Diego City College. I ended up paroling houseless. I slept on a bench. My mom came down, got us a hotel and I ended up seeing my pro officer and telling him I wanted to go to college. And I signed up for San Diego City College, created the Urban Scholars Union, which is a program for formerly incarcerated students out of uh, San Diego City College with a couple other people. And, uh, and then in 2019, I graduated with a 3.75 grade point average. And I uh, got accepted into Berkeley. I got accepted into USD. USD gave me the University of San Diego, uh, the private school. They gave me the Circle of Excellence Scholarship, which covered tuition for four years, which is like $57,000 for four years. So I got a full ride on tuition there. I got accepted to UC Santa Barbara and UC Irvine. I chose UC Santa Barbara because there was nothing for formerly incarcerated students here. And Santa Barbara... County has the highest recidivism rate. So I was doing research at the time, and I saw that one of the highest recidivism rates in the state of California is here in Santa Barbara. 
And I was like, geez, like that's, you know, that's, that's crazy. And then I saw, I was doing a paper at the time about human trafficking. And I found out that Santa Barbara has one of the highest rates of human trafficking. So I was like, I, I got to go there and I got to help that community. I got to build and develop some sort of program for formerly incarcerated students. So in 2019, I showed up here. I told one of my good friends, Danny Morillos, the founder of Berkeley Underground Scholars, his brother, Gilbert Morillo. I begged him, please come to Santa Barbara with me. And I started giving him all these statistics like, look, bro, like the highest recidivism rate uh, across the state is coming out of Santa Barbara and the central California area. And I started telling him all these statistics. I was like, we need to develop a Gaucho Underground Scholars program. We need an Underground Scholars program there to uplift the surrounding community. And so he was like, he was, he got accepted to Berkeley and he was like, all right, Flock, I'll go with you to UC Santa Barbara. So we pulled up here and we just been organizing it ever since. And so, yeah, that's kind of the leading up to it. And excuse me, I, I took a little, uh, took you on a little mission, but that was the beginnings of it all. No, what a great story. I mean, it sounds like you have so much drive to help people, even when you had the opportunity to go to these other schools that even gave you money or or seemed more prestigious. You you did your research and you certainly were going into the psychology and the, the statistics of what was going on in Santa Barbara. So this is a fairly new program still at UCSB, true. And there's never been another program like it, as you said before on campus. So first and foremost, what is the theoretical framework that's been built around how to deal with former game members or ex-convicts? And how have you worked to dismantle this stigma on campuses? And what are the struggles that both of you, Melissa as well, have had to face on campus as a part of this program? So the theoretical framework around state labeled gang members and, and all. So, you know, there was multiple theories out there. One of them I was actually a victim of called the super predator theory. In 1996, they put out the super predator theory and they started to go after us youth and they started to label youth from the inner cities as super predators and they started to lock us up and they started to put us in the segregated housing units and so you have all these theoretical theories out there this theoretical framework around labeling individual super predators and then in 2001 after 9-11 they started to call us street terrorists and they put out this theoretical framework calling individuals from the inner neighborhood street terrorists and so these were allowing the prison industrial complex to legitimize attacking us and extracting us from our communities. And so this was the theoretical framework that we're having to dismantle now, you know, and all, all hands down goes to the credible messengers of the Short Corridor Collective who put out the agreement to end all hostilities. And, and uh, this agreement to end all hostilities seized all violence inside the general population yards in the prison industrial complex here in California. And really all the violence was seized. And it was this agreement to end all hostilities that's now even coming out here to the streets. And so we're seeing credible messengers, the individuals that went through the prison industrial complex that experienced it, they're actually being the ones who are going out and creating the solutions to dismantle these stigmas and these labels that are being perpetuated by our communities and that are allowing us to be outcasted and not accepted into employment, not accepted 
into housing and all these barriers. There's no upward mobility for formerly incarcerated individuals, which also hinders their families. So you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of formerly incarcerated individuals here in the state of California. And, and, and not only are they locked out, their families are deeply impoverished due to their formerly incarcerated relatives. And, and, and that has a, a big, huge effect on our communities. And it's also a serious health issue. You know, there's a lot of people who are coming out of prison and they're coming out with serious mental health issues, serious mental illness, which I did a I did a, a paper on. It's called Prison Traumatic Stress Disorder. The violence and the severe, disgusting, inhumane conditions of the prison industrial complex, they cause bipolar, they cause Tourette's, they cause all these things to fester inside the minds of the incarcerated, and then they're released back to our communities. So one thing that I always say when I'm speaking to everyone is, who do you want to come home and be your neighbor? Do you want a drug addicted, psychopath, mentally ill, houseless individual because they're paroled uh, transient? Or do you want an educated, goal-driven individual who has a vision to uplift the community, who's actually connected to the community to come home and be your neighbor? So that's how I always like put it out. Like, who do we want to come home and be our neighbors? Because we have the power to vote for education and programming. We have the power to do this for our future community members to come home and be with us. Because as it stands right now, we've built nothing but a recidivism factory in these communities. These individuals come out with mental illness. They're screaming in the middle of our streets. The police pull up, shake them down, throw them back in the car and send them to the county jail. Then they're shipped right back upstate. So yeah, no, there's a lot to it, but that's the theoretical framework that we're dismantling. We're showing right now that when our communities invest in us, I got a 4.0. I'm on my way to graduate school. I'm no longer addicted to drugs. I'm now living with my family and I got my children. I'm on a career pathway to, you know, uplifting others and giving the, the warm handoff and the hand up to the next formerly incarcerated person so that we can break down the recidivism factories that exist in our communities right now. Definitely. Is there anything else you'd like to add about that, Melissa? I think for me, honestly, I, I dealt with a lot of internal barriers, a lot of internal conflict, dealing with imposter syndrome, even going to Santa Barbara City College. You know, I didn't feel like I belonged there. But then moving to UCSB, first of all, not really expecting to get accepted into, you know, such a prestigious university. Once I got accepted, all those fears came of like, well, someone with my background isn't going to be able to relate to anybody that's on this campus. How am I going to get through campus life or UC life with the background that I have? You know, I don't really know how to put one foot in front of the other when it comes to, you know, academic success. So that for me has been my main barrier was just the internal conflict, you know, just trying to deal with the psychological part of like, I don't belong here or do I belong here? And that's the beauty of underground scholars because it's like finding a community of like people that have different stories, but are in a sense, they're all the same, you know? So finding a, an organization like underground scholars was kind of like a godsend because I, I really felt like I 
stuck out like a sore thumb, but I, I don't, you know, cause I'm part of this beautiful community on campus with underground scholars where I fit in and, you know, it's a constant reminder of, yes, I am. I do belong here. I belong here just as much as everybody else. Yeah. Making your space on campus for sure. So circling back to the core of this project, talk to me about the program itself and some of the technology that you've developed to make higher education more accessible for those incarcerated. So the Underground Scholars was created up at Berkeley, and it was created off of three pillars, recruitment, retention, and advocacy. So what we've done is we've just taken the model from Berkeley, and we've inserted it over here at UCSB. So recruitment, we got cross-enrollment, we got the ambassadors program, and we also have the incarcerated program where we work with incarcerated individuals and, and, and we help them cross enroll into classes. So we're still, you know, pioneering these programs here, but uh, we do have the ambassadors program really up and running. We just got a grant from the Fund for Santa Barbara. Huge shout out to the Fund for Santa Barbara. We really appreciate their support and solidarity with our mission and our vision. And so that's now going to allow us to give stipends to formerly incarcerated students at the local community colleges, SBCC and Allen Hancock, where we got programs called the Rising Scholars at Allen Hancock and Transitions at SBCC, and we're able to develop the warm handoff system. So this warm handoff system, it, it has to start behind the wall. We have to advocate for those behind the wall and let them know that we're ready to receive them. And then once they're getting out, we warmly hand them to transitions or to Biggie, the beyond incarceration, greater education and to the the mentors, the credible messengers that exist in these programs. And then we work together with them. We give tours of UCSB, you know, and so our ambassadors play a key role, a critical role in warmly handing them off to UCSB, to Gus, the Gacho Underground Scholars. And so we just had formerly incarcerated student day and we're doing a bunch of events like on January 19th, we have the beyond the wall art exhibit. Every single quarter we run a workshop. Uh, last quarter we did the creative writing workshop and you can see all of our work on the YouTube page that we have the underground scholars, Santa Barbara YouTube page. We had Richard Cabral, who's a formerly incarcerated movie star. He went to our creative writing workshop and he uh, did poetry with us. And so we have folks from all around the world who are formerly incarcerated joining into these workshops. So we have multiple different things that we're doing, but most of all, we're developing community and culture. We're here. We're showing that we're here. We're, we're announcing that we're here. And for so long, historically, we could never say we were formally incarcerated. It was so much stigma around it. And so we had to come into these spaces and we had to hide. We had to hide our background. We had to hide our identities. And so imagine having to hide this identity and, and try to fit in with your peers around you that have never experienced being incarcerated, that have never experienced addiction, that have never experienced these things. And so that imposter syndrome that Melissa's talking about is extreme in formerly incarcerated individuals because we have stigma attached to us. We have barriers attached to us that we can never take off. 
Just recently, I went to do a practicum class with the local K through 12. And I've gotten my life to go. I'm doing so well. My kids go to school here. I have a, a child, my daughter's in, in Dos Pueblos High School. And so I had to do these 40 hours of practicum to get my minor in education. And I had to do a live scan. And I told them, hey, look, I'm formally incarcerated. I have a conviction history. And I hope it doesn't hinder me to get these practicum hours. And I got denied to go in and do my practicum hours. So this conviction history that, that, that follows us, I was up front with them. I have carjacking. I was very high on drugs. I'm, I've made amends to the individual I did this to. I'm now making amends to my community and uplifting my community. But I still got denied to go fulfill this. And this is how it, this follows us for the rest of our lives. We're locked out of employment. We're locked out of creating careers. And what ends up happening is we just become an, a number for other people to build their careers off of us being on their caseloads, trying to seek jobs, trying to get food stamps, trying to get our lives together. And we're totally serving a life sentence on our communities. And so what we're creating now is we're creating career pathways. We're opening up for formerly incarcerated to go out and get their lives together and create upward mobility and get the degrees that open up the doors where these stigmas can't hinder us and lock us out of success. And so that's our hope. And that's what we work towards every single day. Yeah. And helping students break out of that cyclical pattern with the prison system can be a really multifaceted thing, as you mentioned earlier. So what other support besides, as you both mentioned, creating that solid community on campus, does the Underground Scholar Initiative offer to those who may still be battling addiction or mental illness as they're trying to pursue their degree? We do healing groups. So we have retreats every summer, organic leadership retreats. Organic leadership is a theory that we just put together and it's coming out in a book uh, really soon where us organic leaders are now in higher education working to fulfill leadership roles. And so we work together. Uh, we do health as well. So we have a, a training program every Sunday where we go work out. And then most of all, we come together in community every Friday. And we just have roles where, you know, like uh, Melissa's the historian. You got Gilbert Morillo as the initiative's chair. You got Juan Bran Gudiel as the uh, vice initiative's chair. You got uh, Luis Munoz, who's the treasurer. Myself is the secretary. These roles allow us to have space and opportunity to take on uh, leadership and also responsibilities. And we organize and we create events and we create all this stuff. And this helps us heal. This helps us feel like we belong here. This helps us be noticed on this campus where there's very few of us, but we hope to have a lot more of us showing up to this space because we're all excelling here. And we're all showing that higher education lowers recidivism. You know, there's studies out there right now that is, is proving this to be the facts. And they show that if you've got a GED or high school diploma, you're 46% chance of recidivating. But it drops drastically when you get your associate's degree down to 27%. But once you get your bachelor's degree, it drops down to 12%. And then your master's degree, 2%. Your PhD, 0%. So we're showing 
a whole dismantling of recidivism through higher education. And it's also a bunch of healing. You got caps here. It's a multifaceted setup to heal. So you got counseling, you got your peers, you got a bunch of different programs and events that you can go to that help uplift your mind and help you understand and study. And, and so, yeah, and, and uh, I'll let Melissa add on there because there's so much that I'm probably missing. Yeah, I mean, UCSB offers so many different um, resources in itself. But recently, I did want to share, you know, like Ryan was saying, outreach is so important. And what we've been doing, I actually tied to the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. I went there for a year-long residential treatment program at Bethel House. And just recently, we went and did a presentation of underground scholars because where I came from, I came from Santa Barbara City College, and I had no idea that these kinds of programs existed, none at all. And I found out about underground scholars because I went to an event that they had on campus where I heard Ryan speak about underground scholars, and I heard them talk about other programs that they offered at UCSB, and my mind was blown. I had no idea that these kinds of organizations were out there for people like me. So I think that it's just as important. What we have at UCSB and what they're offering us while we're students there is fantastic, and it's it's very helpful for our success, but also being able to you know, give that outreach of this is what's going on. This is what you can do. You know, if you stay clean, stay sober, and this is also something that can help you be successful in your sobriety and staying out of jail and letting people know, you know, that there is a community of people out there that are getting educated and want to help them and are there with open arms and ready to take them in and help them achieve their goals. So since you've begun this program, what has progress looked like? I mean, how many students who started this program have graduated or are on their way to graduation? And how would you both define success in this program? So graduation is success, you know, to this program. And so we have our first cohort of graduates graduating this year. So there's about six of us formerly incarcerated students here at UCSB that are going to be graduating this year. So we're going to have a big, huge graduation celebration on May 28th at Corwin Pavilion. And right now we're in the midst of organizing that event. It's going to be the first ever Gaucho Underground Scholars graduation ceremony. We're looking at having Scott Budnick up here, who's going to be uh, talking about, you know, his, his journey and the work that he does and, and, you know, and how important it is to really uplift formerly incarcerated individuals and empower them. And so right now we have about 20 people who are in the program. There's a lot of folks that aren't really confident to identify as being formally incarcerated. So there's a lot of folks that stay in the shadows that don't want to talk about this past conviction history because they know all the stigma that comes with it. And so that's what we're hoping to break. We're hoping to break these stigmas and show that, look, if we invest in each other, we can build upward mobility and we can deplete recidivism in our communities and we can bring back. Because, I mean, as you as it stands, we give $15.7 billion in the state of California for the Department of Corrections. $15.7 billion a year goes to 36 prisons throughout the state of California. We need to get that money back to our communities and we need to develop 
more sustainable programs that uplift these individuals instead of sending them to a prison industrial complex that breaks them down, mind, body, and soul, and then releases them back out to our community more broken than before they went in. And so the success is that, the graduation, the building of a career, the building of, of, of being reunited with your family. So here at UCSB, they gave me family housing. I got a two-story townhome where I got my children for the first time in their lives living with me. I'm now able to be a complete father. I got my wife with me and I'm able to do what dad should do, even though I made some mistakes in my past and I wasn't there for them for the first seven years of their life. Now I'm there for them and I'm making up for it. And I'm also leading by example. So I show up with A's every single quarter. And so my kids are showing up with A's every single trimester, showing me their report cards. Like, look, dad, I got A's too, you know? So we're kind of, you know, just building that, that legacy that our children can follow too. Well, that's wonderful. I do have one final question. I wanted to ask Ryan, what was your perspective on writing this story? And why were you so interested in capturing the life and the legacy of this program? Yeah, this story is really close to my heart, something that I feel like uh, most people don't really know about or think about uh, in a general like day-to-day life. I've affected, been through the transitions program, so I, through my life, I was getting in trouble, I was, I was on drugs, I was dealing drugs, I was you know, in that lifestyle, and I was caught up in this loop. And through that, I heard about transitions, and I started to go through that, and that was my journey back to school. It was 10, back, 10 years later than everybody else. So like they said, you feel a little out of place, you're older, but these programs are really necessary because like they've talked about and every one of the students I talked to and myself personally too, have felt this imposter syndrome. You go into these environments, you feel like you're an outsider. You're like, do I deserve to be here? And you kind of, having these groups, it's this uh, something that that Ryan and we talked about is having this social capital and that's really huge in colleges and your college experiences, having this social experiences and meeting people and having friends and networking. And if you're formally incarcerated or you're, you just come out of an addiction and rehab and you know, it, it's your whole social capital and what you, your idea of your friends and stuff that is gone. You're, you're in a whole new life and now you're in this whole different environment and having these, this group of like-minded people or people that have been through the same struggles that you've been through, that's invaluable. These people know me. I can connect to these people on a different way. And not, not only that, we'll hold each other accountable. So another part of this story was the transitions uh, program, the eight-week program they had in the jail and that they all completed. And, and when I went to, to that ceremony, it was amazing because all of them in there, just like Ryan said, after they got those college courses in New Folsom, the whole culture changed in their pod. They were holding each other accountable. It was like, hey, tonight we're, they're not arguing about anything. Who's, who's the toughest or not? They're, let's do this. Can you help me with this, this math problem? Can you help me study? And that holding each other accountable and having that group that changes your whole mindset. And I feel like nowadays there's this wave of wokeness and being open and equity, diversity, inclusion, and everybody's getting their, their time. And it, it's different genders, sexuality, uh, races. Everybody is, is, has a seat at the table, but formerly incarcerated have been kind of left out of that seat. And, and that's important that we build on this and that people know that, that these are some of the most amazing people you can meet and that, that credible messenger thing is a real thing. And, and there's, there's people that Ryan and Melissa will be able to reach out in their future. And because they've been through what they've been through, this next generation, if they're struggling with a similar problem, if, if they're going through what Ryan's going through, 
and, and they see him and they hear the way he talks, they see how he is and how he is confident in himself, you start to feel yourself too. And you're like, yeah, like I, I can be there. I can, I can get 3.97. I can be Dr. Flacco too, you know, and that's amazing. And, and same with Melissa when she, a lot of these, these uh, students are taking sociology, psychology, and they want to help their communities. And that's exactly what I, I try to do with the independent. And then I try to tell stories that haven't been told in what I've seen growing up here in Santa Barbara Independent or in, in, in the media in Santa Barbara. And it's tough because there's demographics of the town and there's people that live and pay rent and vote in the town, but there's also a lot of people that also pay rent and live and vote in this town. It's just maybe they don't have the biggest numbers. So I think it's really important to tell these stories and then just to kind of share the people like Ryan, Melissa, Gilberto, who's told me about amazing, he's going to, to study over the summer in Palestine and just the conversations we had about the comparisons of, of occupation in Palestine and how they're treated to police occupation, if that's what you, you can call it, in, in these, these high violent gang neighborhoods where you get put on a list and you get treated a different way from everybody else who grows up there. And the consequences are different. It's a whole new justice system. It's, it's a lot. So I, I think it's really important to tell these stories. And yeah, there, there's going to be people always who are like, maybe or they don't belong or this and that or trying to hold people back because of mistakes they've made. But I think if, if we get down to it, any mistakes that you make is going to give you an experience at the end of the day. And it shouldn't be like held against you because you, you've been through a thing and learned something the hard way. So yeah, that, that's kind of what, what I got through writing this. Well, that's all great. And I've really enjoyed speaking to all three of you on the podcast this week. And I'm sure listeners will enjoy hearing all of your stories in relation to the Gaucho Underground Initiative. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we sign off? Yes, definitely. Uh, so the Thrive SBC app was just launched. The hard launch was at formerly incarcerated student day. And so that's an app with all the resources uh, for reentry services that exist here in Santa Barbara County. You could look it up, you could Google it, and it's a whole app and it, it's, it's very easy to use. So if you're looking for housing, that app will take you, get you the address. It takes, it opens it up in maps and takes you right there. Phone numbers with contacts. If you're looking for food, that app has every single food bank that exists here in Santa Barbara County. If you're looking for mental health services, that app has every single service in it and it'll help you every step of the way. And it's a very simple, easy to use app. Thrive SBC. And I just want to thank Melissa Ortiz for all the amazing work that she's doing as a formerly incarcerated woman. And I really appreciate her coming on this podcast today with us and really just announcing to Santa Barbara. I, I would like her just to like end with some words to Santa Barbara. She's a Santa Barbara native. And I I'm just so grateful for all the amazing work she's doing to uplift her community. Thank you, Ryan. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm born and raised in Santa Barbara, and honestly, I I have quite a background. And these little milestones that I'm reaching every, basically every single day, like since I started at SBCC, I've just hit one milestone after another after another, and and then getting into UCSB, like that was huge, and then becoming a part of Underground Scholars and realizing that there are people like me that are pursuing an education and trying to better themselves just like I am. I guess my words for, you know, who's ever out there and is struggling and, you know, might be where I was, you know, not too long ago or what seems like not too long ago. 
there is always a way out. There is always an option to better yourself. There's always help out there. Just got to put in the work and you got to reach out and ask for help. So, you know, there's never, you're, you're never stuck. And I just, I need to put that out there because there, for a long time, I felt stuck in my environment. I felt stuck in my addiction. I felt stuck in that never ending cycle of just misery and shame and all of that. I, you're never stuck and just, you got to ask, you got to ask for help. You got to reach out um, because there are resources out there, just like the Thrive SBC app. I wish that that was out there when I was, when I was doing bad, I wish that that was an option for me. So yeah, that would be my input to Santa Barbara. Well, thank you for that. Once again, Melissa Ortiz, Ryan Rising, and writer of this week's piece, Ryan P. Cruz. Thank you all for coming on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your stories. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of The Indie. Tune in next week for another episode.